If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the scripture we're looking at is in your bulletin on the inside cover, on the back, or the back inside cover. Um, we're going to be focused on verse 2 today, but we're going to read from verses 1, or start in verse 1, just to catch the context, because it relates. Um, and so, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Friends, listen, this is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is God's word. We began last week talking about the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters. And what we've understood is that the resurrection happened in history about 2,000 years ago, but the effect of the resurrection continues today. Right? You remember this quote from... So we had a quote last week that said this. It said, Sunday morning has extended its daylight into Monday morning and beyond. Do you remember that? That Sunday morning has extended its daylight into Monday morning and beyond because the same power which exploded death now lives in you who believe. Okay, this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. When we believe in him and trust in him, it causes us to experience, we get that same power and it transforms us. We begin to live lives that show the resurrection of Jesus in the things that we do, in the things that we say, and how we relate to others. We saw that, um, that Jesus wants to create a generation of people. He wants to create a world of people who can lead by sharing the resurrection and showing the resurrection. Okay, this is what Jesus is doing in the world. And so last week we talked about how it's the grace of Jesus that strengthens us to show the resurrection in our relationships. And I gave you a homework assignment. Right? I asked you to pick one person and over the course of this last week to convince them that you are on their side. Right? To bring the grace of Jesus to bear on your relationship with one person by convincing them that you're on their side, that you're for them. In the same way Jesus is for you, you're for them. How'd you do? How'd you do? I talked with the people on my staff and I asked them the question, like, do you, are you convinced that I'm for you? Um, and when are you convinced? Like, what do I do that makes you convinced? And are there things that I'm doing that make you not convinced that I'm for you, that I'm on your side? And had good conversations. Good conversations. Um, and so I want to encourage you. These are the leaders that Jesus is calling us to be. We know that Jesus is the leader who's worth following. My goal is that every single one of you would become a leader who is worth following. That's my goal. That's what this text is calling us toward. It's calling us to become leaders who are worth following. Now, I know that some of you have official formal, influ like formal leadership roles, either in your company or in your home, um, with people. They look up to you because they have to, because you, you have a role or an office or a, uh, you know, or a job that leads other people. And I want that leadership to be worth following. But then I know how many, I mean, all of us have informal relationships where we are influencing others, where other people 
interact with us and they're influenced by us. And so no matter who you are, we all can become leaders who are worth following. And so today, we're going to continue this. We're going to look and see what verse 2 has to say about leaders who are worth following. And what we're going to see, just to give you the end at the beginning, is that leaders who are worth following invest in others. Okay? Leaders who are worth following invest in others. Okay? And so before we actually look at point one, uh, these are people who are investing in others, right? And so um, I think you kind of resonate with this. Right? This is true in companies, in corporate America, in the marketplace, in the home, in the church. Right? Leaders who are worth following invest in others. Okay? They have leadership. They have influence. And they don't just tell other people what to do. But what they do is they actually invest their lives in others. Right? They're not just about do this, don't do this. But you can tell they care about the people who follow them. Or the people who are under their influence or under their authority. Um, These are people who invest in others. They give themselves in different ways to others. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that today in our passage. And uh, the first thing that we're going to see as we look at this verse, we're going to see that grace has no conditions, but it does have direction. Okay, grace has no conditions, but it does have direction. So these are the blanks in the first two lines there in your bulletin. So leaders worth following invest in others. And we're going to see from this verse that grace has no conditions, but it does have direction. It does have direction. So we get this from actually the first word in verse 2. It's the word and. Okay? You can get a lot from the word and. Okay? I was reading this and studying it, and as I broke this verse down into its pieces, I realized that the and was actually functioning in a very important way as Paul's communicating to Timothy. Okay, the and obviously connects this with verse 1. And what it does is it reminds us, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened. That's a command. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And. So the idea here is that Paul wants you to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus. We talked about that and what that means last week. He wants you to be strengthened and do something about it. Okay? Now, grace is free. It's God's gift to anyone who trusts in Jesus. Right? When you trust in Jesus, God gives you his grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. We just sang about this, right? Not the labors of my hands can fulfill your law's demands. Right? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Right? This is God's free grace. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. God doesn't save good people. God saves humble people, right? God doesn't save people because they're better than others. God saves people who admit that they have sin and need to be forgiven, right? It's not good people who go to heaven. It's forgiven people who go to heaven, okay? And so God's grace is free. You don't have to do anything to earn it uh, because it's, but, but just trust in Jesus. And so God gives us all of these blessings uh, when we trust in Jesus And these blessings call us to a purpose. Okay? They call us to a purpose. God's grace is designed to strengthen us, but the and that comes with that strengthening grace is not a condition, it's a direction. Okay? It moves us in a direction. And so, how did Timothy understand this? What's the direction for Timothy? Well, the rest of the verse tells us how Timothy is supposed to use this grace. 
Right? It says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're going to look and break the rest of this verse down. But just the picture here is that Timothy, when he gets this letter, he is in Ephesus. Okay? And he's pastoring a church. He may be actually a regional pastor of several churches. Um, and Paul sends him this letter. Remember where Paul is? Paul's in prison. Right? He's in a Mamertine prison, um, which is where the worst of the worst criminals went. And he was there sentenced to be executed, have his head cut off. Um, and so that's where Paul was. And he's writing to Timothy. And so Paul gives Timothy this direction. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Jesus. And do this thing. Why? Why? Well, because what we read at the end of the letter is that Paul wanted Timothy to come and see him. Okay? When we get to chapter 4, there's just a couple of things that we see there. In chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, do your best to come to me soon. Um, Timothy, I need you. In verse 21, he then says again, do your best to come to me before winter. There's some urgency in Paul. Paul wants to see Timothy. Paul needs Timothy. I can't wait till we get to unpack the end of this letter and we actually see the humanness of Paul and the importance of relationships. That's getting ahead of us right now. The point is that Paul is telling Timothy, look, I need you to get here. I need to see you. I need you here with me and I need you soon. And so Paul has that thrust behind this letter. And so Timothy needs to be strong in the grace of Jesus so that he can leave the church strong and healthy when he leaves. Okay? So Paul is saying, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus. Be a strong leader so that the church will be strong and healthy without you. Okay, I'm calling you to leave. And this isn't like you hop on the plane, fly, and you can get back the same day. Right? To travel between Ephesus and Rome, that's a, that's a trip that's going to take months. Right? To go in one direction. You spend time with Paul. I don't know how long he wanted Timothy with him. And then to get back would take him again a long period of time. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus so that you'll be a strong enough leader to lead the church so that you can leave it in good hands when you leave. Okay, so that's what Timothy is dealing with. Again, this point here that grace has no conditions, but it does have direction. Right? The same thing is true for us. Okay, God gives you grace, not that you would be lazy. Okay? God gives you grace so that you would be strong, so that you would be, you would consume grace like an athlete, not a couch potato. Okay? God wants to give you the strengthening grace of Jesus, not so that you would be strong sitting on the couch doing nothing, but so that you would be strong enough to serve. So you'd be strong enough to serve the church, right? If Timothy's call is to strengthen the church, then maybe that's a window into our call, right? All of us have gifts because of the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 12 says, and all of us are to use those gifts to strengthen the church, right? So all of us can have, a, we might not be leaving anytime soon, um, but Paul wants us to use the strengthening grace of God in the direction of strengthening the church. Right? Strengthening the church. And so for us, God's grace doesn't want to make us lazy, but to make us spiritually strong and spiritually active. 
And so everything we talked about last week, right? Being a leader who is gracious, what do we say? How do you know if you're full of grace? Well, look at your relationships. Are you gracious toward others, right? The grace of Jesus always has a direction. It always has a direction. And we've talked about this in the past. We've used the phrase, we are blessed to be a blessing, right? The reason God gives us his blessings is so because he wants to make us blessings to others. He wants to raise us from the dead so that we would show people what the resurrection looks like. So we would share with them the reality of the resurrection and what it means in our lives. And so if that's, if that's true, that grace has no conditions, but it does push us in a direction, again, what is that direction? What is that direction? Well, this is our second point. That grace seeks to multiply grace. Okay, the grace of Jesus, the strengthening grace that comes from the gospel is designed and what it seeks is to multiply itself. Okay, grace seeks to multiply grace. This is true in the entire Bible from beginning to end. From beginning, if you read Genesis 1, everything that God makes that is living says that God made it with its own seed so that it would reproduce. Plants, animals, birds, fish, and human beings, like everything begets. Um, the word seed shows up all the time. Like it's the, the plants were made with its seed. The animals were made to replicate after their own kind, right? And so we have this dynamic that God has built into the world from the beginning that like begets like, right? And so when God creates us in his image, like is beginning like. We are like God in ways that nothing else is. Okay, and so we have this beautiful picture of this self-replicating world where God is filling the world with his beauty and his glory. And it's designed for us. His original design for us was that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the grace and the love that we were created with. Okay, and this is why sin is so bad. Like sin isn't just that, oh, you broke some laws, but sin is like a complete undoing of God's creative intent. God made the world so that beauty would multiply. And then our sin, the problem with our sin is that our sin also multiplies. And so like begets like for good and for bad. And so after the fall, we actually see God's grace enters the picture. Right? God is then redemptively gracious and he then saves us from our sins and reinfuses grace into the world. And we see that coming over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It culminates in Jesus, where God comes and takes the punishment for our sins, right? He dies for us, and then he rises again to show that in the resurrection, there is power now to bring grace back into the world, and that grace can overcome sin. Romans 5.21 says that where sin abounded, grace superabounded. And so as high as this mountain of sin as you can pile, the flood of God's grace covers even the tops of the mountain. This is the grace of God. And grace seeks to multiply grace. Grace seeks to multiply grace. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, look, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others. Right? Entrust to others. So Paul is calling Timothy to remember the gospel. Like, Timothy, you know, you remember what you've heard from me. You remember that you heard it in the presence of many witnesses. 
It's not just me that's told you, but there's other people who've reminded you of this. And he says, remember, remember the good news. Remember, and the good news is the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters. This is the message of Easter that Paul is telling Timothy. What you've heard from me, what you've heard from me, tell people that, right? Entrust that, what you've heard from me. Remember what you've heard and entrust that to others. This is the good news of the resurrection. And so again, the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us. We need to remember Jesus. We need to remember the resurrection and why it matters. And so... I want to show you something that we've seen before, right? We have this tree. This is us, right? This is our new self planted into Christ. And we've understood, we talked about this in the past. We preached for almost, what, nine months of last year on this. So if you haven't seen it, you can look back um, and get the, get the, the sermons on our website. Um, but we've seen this, that the work of Christ feeds our souls, the death, the resurrection of Christ feeds us. It gives us his power. And we've seen the, the blessings, the thousands and thousands of blessings that come to us in Christ. They all sort of can be categorized in three ways, right? What are those ways? For those of you in the back who can't read this, right? What are those ways? How do we think about, what are the three ways to think about the work of Christ? That's it. The work of Christ for you, the work of Christ in you, and the work of Christ through you. These are ways to understand the fullness of the gospel and why the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. Let me just give you some ways to think about this. These are on your, in your outline. So the fullness of the gospel is Christ for you. This is his extravagant grace. Right? The extravagant grace of God in Christ's work for you. This is where Jesus does things that you could not do. So he lived a perfect life for you. He died and suffered God's punishment for sin. And he did that for you, right? And so because of that, God declares that you are forgiven and righteous and accepts you and adopts you into his family. This is Christ's work for you. You can't do anything about this. All you do is receive it by faith. When you trust Jesus, his work for you unleashes God's extravagant grace. Okay, and so this is work for you. But then Jesus does work in you. And the work of Christ in you speaks of holistic repentance. Okay, holistic repentance. Holistic just means all of life. And repentance means we're turning back to Jesus. Okay? I mean, that's what the words holistic repentance mean. Is that in every area of our lives, in every relationship, in everything that we do, at home, at work, in our communities, with people that we know, with strangers that we meet, in every way we are turning back to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's us saying, you know what, there's lots of ways that we do things. We do things the way we want to do it. We do the things the way other people want us to do them. But now, now, because of God's extravagant grace... Because of all that he has done to love us, he has won our hearts. And we're now turning back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, whatever you want, I will do. In every area of my life, I give it all to you and I want to honor you. I want to turn every part of my life to you. Christ's work in us compels us to do this. Right, as he regenerates us, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a heart that loves him. He takes out that heart that doesn't love him. 
He takes out the heart that doesn't love people. It's this heart of stone and he puts in a soft heart. That's regeneration. And then the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so we have the presence of the living God. We have the spirit of the resurrected Christ dwelling in us when we believe. So you're never alone. And you have Jesus' strength in you. Right? This makes us new inside. This makes us new inside. We need to live new lives. And then we have the work of Christ through you. Christ worked through you, and this produces radical obedience. Radical obedience. Nothing is too big for God to ask. Can you say that? Can you say that to God? God, there is nothing that you could ask for me to do that I'm not willing to do. It may not be easy, but I'm willing to do anything that you ask of me. This again, you see how these things tie in, right? We need the extravagant grace of God to trust God enough to commit to radically obey him, right? God earns our trust in some ways by graciously dealing with us, by sending his son to live and die for us, to bring us into his family so that we know now that anything he asks us to do, whatever he commands us to do is actually for our good. It's actually the best thing for us. And so there's this call to radically obey. Man, friends, friends, this is the good news. Like this is news that changes everything. Like this is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And it changes everything about us. It affects our relationships. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationships with our other people. It affects our relationships with ourselves. Right? And so as we embrace this gospel, as we understand it and walk in it, Paul is telling Timothy, share that. Right? Share this. Get to a place where for you this is good news and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to others. And share this. This is good news. We want to multiply this message Right? This is what God is doing in the world. He's multiplying this message so that when people believe it and begin to experience it, their lives begin to change. And so Timothy needs to invest this in faithful men. Okay, the word entrust there, where he says, what you've heard from me in the present, entrust to faithful men. The word entrust is actually the same word deposit that's in chapter one, right, where Paul talks about guard the deposit. That God has put something in you, Timothy, he's put a call in you, and now he's saying, I want you to take that deposit and I want you to put it in other people. All that God has given you, put it into someone else. And so for Timothy, he's the pastor, and he's calling, at this point, Paul is calling him to appoint other pastors, right, to be able to shepherd the church while he's gone. Um, And for us, For us, we need to multiply this grace in others. We need to invest, to entrust what God has given to us into the lives of others. And this this is part of abundant life. This is part of eternal life. What this tells us is that in some ways life isn't about us. Right? Your life is not about you. A huge part of your life, of God's will for your life, is that you would be pouring your life into others. 
You'd be sharing with others what you've learned about God, what you are learning about God. You would share with others this amazing grace, this extravagant grace of Jesus, this power that works in you that you would, that you would share it, you would entrust it to others. And so Timothy was called to look for people. And Paul says, look for it, entrust this to faithful men, to people who are faithful. I've heard one person, you want to know who to entrust yourself to, who to invest in? Um, one way to think about it is to think about people who are faithful, who are available, and who are teachable. Right? Faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. Who do you know in your life who's like that? Who's faithful to God, available to you, and then teachable, like they're willing to listen, they're willing to learn from you. You want to invest in them. You want to multiply the grace that you've received in them. And I like what Paul says here, what he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Because I think what he's calling Timothy to remember is that there's accountability to this. He's reminding Timothy that, it could be that he's reminding Timothy of his ordination. Because there were several people that laid their hands on Timothy when he was ordained and called to the pastor, to be a pastor. And so he's calling Timothy to remember um, the people who were there at the beginning. He's calling Timothy to remember um, the, even the people that Paul has sent to Timothy. Right to remind him of things. Maybe it's maybe one of the witnesses is one of the people that brought the letter from Paul to Timothy. Um, but in all of these things, I think it's speaking about accountability, and I think it's true that our commitments hold fast when we are in community. Okay, sometimes when we commit to things by ourselves, we just let it go when it gets hard. And I think there's something in here. We need to be committed to multiplying the grace that we've received in community with other people. Okay, you need other people to be asking you, so who are you investing in? Who's in your life? Right? Who are you looking after to share with, to care for, to help them grow? This happens to me all the time when we get into, when I get into conversations with people and you begin to hear them talk about what's going on with their lives. Like, isn't it encouraging? When they talk about what God is doing in their lives. Um, this week I was talking to someone who, has, who was far away from God for a long, long time and has just recently come back and is just on fire. He's on fire. And as he's talking, I'm thinking, man, like, I remember when I was like this and I need to be like this. Right? When we're in community with each other, I mean, not only can we hold each other accountable, but, you know, his fire is igniting my fire. Right? And then there's things that I can share with him that are causing rocket fuel to be poured onto his fire, so it's getting even bigger. Right? And so we need to be doing this with each other in community. It makes it more real. Right? It keeps us uh, more focused when we do this together in community. And so grace seeks to multiply grace. You know, and if we've got to understand just the breadth of the fullness of the gospel because there are aspects 
of these things that we can always share with just about anybody. Right? Some people need to hear the extravagant grace of what Christ has done for them because they feel discouraged, downcast, guilty. Right? And then there's people that understand they're forgiven and they just feel like they can't do it. They need the work of Christ in them. Right? To remember that, yeah, by themselves they can't do it, but guess what? They're not by themselves anymore. Right? And then there are times where some of us need to get up off the couch Right? And we need to be called to radically obey, to care more about what Jesus says than anything else. Right? And so at different times, in different ways, we need to be reminding each other of the fullness of the gospel. So you need to be multiplying yourself in others. Right? Now, so this comes to our third point. And as you commit to multiplying, you're not done multiplying until they multiply. Okay? You're not done multiplying. So as you multiply the grace of God in other people, as you begin to entrust yourselves and entrust the grace of God into others, you're not done with that multiplying process until the one you're discipling, until the one that you are sharing with has turned around and they're now sharing with someone else. Okay? That's what the verse says. Right? What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So entrust to people who can turn around and then do it with someone else. And so you want to multiply with people who can multiply. Or you want to multiply with people so that they will multiply. Okay? We could say that you haven't really multiplied until they multiply. Or you're not done multiplying until they multiply. And this is the Great Commission. This is the one thing that Jesus said before he left. Right? He's about to ascend into heaven. And he's like, wait, hold on, hold on, just a sec. Like the, the angels are coming down, the clouds are come get him. And he's like, wait, wait, just a sec, just a sec, hold on. <laughs> he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, or baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, go and teach them everything that I have taught you. Right? What did he teach them? Well, he taught them to know him. He taught them to multiply. Right? The two ways to think about discipleship or to think about the way that Jesus taught his disciples. Um, the goal in discipleship is both maturity and mission. It's maturity and mission. So we want to teach people as we multiply the grace of God, we want to teach them to become mature. Right? Mature in their relationship with God. Mature in their understanding of the gospel, both in its depth and its breadth. We want to teach them to become mature in their character, in their relationships. Right? We want to teach them to become mature. But we're not done then. We're not done then. We're not finished discipling them. We're not finished multiplying until they are then aware of and they're walking in their mission. Right? It's maturity and mission. 
And so as you work with people, as you talk to people, as you disciple people, as you mentor people, you need to be thinking not just, how can I help this person to know Jesus better and be more like him? But also, I need to be sending this person out so that they can care for others. I need to make sure that this person realizes that, man, all the grace and the good news that I'm going to share with them, it has no conditions, but it does have a direction. That it's designed so that they would become someone who can multiply the grace of God in others. Okay? And so, part of mission is sending people out to care for others. I mean, there's sort of a crawl, walk, and run to this. Okay, If you begin to work with someone or share with someone or encourage someone or disciple someone, if you begin that process, they may not be ready to take on the spiritual authority of someone else right? They, or take spiritual authority over someone else. But every single one of you can care about someone in your life. Okay? Every single one of you has someone in your life that you can care about. Every single one of you has someone in your life that you could share with what you're learning from God. Right? And so crawling is just, it's just caring for someone. Right? That's the early just care for the people around you. Just care for one person. Right? And then you begin to share with them. Share with them what you're learning. Share with them what excites you about Jesus. Right? Begin to multiply yourself by sharing. Right? And then as you grow and develop, you will learn you'll learn how to then help that person um, to then care for someone else and to share with someone else. Right? It's, this, it's designed to be this self-replicating system to the point where God wants to touch every person in the world. Um, <laughs> that's his mission. The mission of God is every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. That everyone would get a chance to hear about Jesus, to know him and to follow him. How does God do that? He does it through you and me. He does it through us. I mean, think about it if the 150 or so adults in our church were to commit to one person sharing with over the next six months, then by the end of that six months, we'd have 300 people that have been shared with and maybe, are, and maybe some of those would be ready, right? Let's say we had 200 people ready to then begin to share with someone else and care for someone else, look after and multiply the grace of God in someone else. Right? Now we're at 400. Right? Then 800, 1600, 3200, 6400. How many people are in San Diego? Right? A million two. It would take us 31 years to reach them all. Are you with me? I mean, really? Are you with me? Are you willing to take on? And realize that the strength of the grace of Jesus has filled your life to fill you with a purpose. And that purpose is to multiply the grace that you've received and to share it with others. Man, what would it be like for us? 
Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You're thinking, hey, I just can't do this. I'm not qualified to do this. Okay, I get it. I don't feel qualified a lot of the times either, and I'm a pastor, so um, you're in good company. Um, here are some questions that can help you to develop a plan for you. Okay? Here are three questions that if you answer these questions, you would be on your way to knowing how you can multiply the grace of God in someone else's life. Okay? You can write these down. How have you been discipled in the past? How has someone shared the grace of God with you in the past? Right? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you have been Christians for a short time. Some of you here still aren't Christians, but you'll get a chance to see how this process works. Right? So just what have you experienced in the past where someone else has invested in you? Someone else has multiplied the grace of God in you. You want to answer that question for yourself. And second, what is it that deepens your life with God? So what is it for you that makes you feel close to God? Is it studying the Bible? Is it praying? Is it listening to music? Is it being out in nature? Is it just being with other people? Right? You want to think through the answer to that question. What is it that makes you feel close to God and that causes your relationship with him to grow? And then third, here's another question. If you had six months with someone who was brand new to Christianity, right, and you wanted them in six months from now, so in October, right, let's say you met them today, and in October, you wanted them to be ready to be able to multiply the grace of God in someone else. What do you think would be most important for you to teach them? Okay, that's what this third question is. If you had six months, what's the most important thing you could teach, you would teach someone else? So here's my, here's my commitment to you. My, my commitment to you is that if you answer these three questions and you send me your answers, I will help you formulate a personal plan so that you can start doing this. And if all of you send it, then... Um, I'm probably not going to preach for the next couple of weeks. So I'll have to have, I mean, just because I'll be working on these things, but it would be my joy. Because in fact, what I'm doing now is I'm trying to be faithful to this verse. Right? God is calling me to entrust what I've heard to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And so if you send me your answers to these three questions, I will help you formalize a personal plan so that you can start doing this and you can start doing it this week, okay? Um, if you don't have my email address, it should be, I don't know, it's somewhere. You can come ask me for it, or you can just put your email address on here and say email me, and I'll be happy to, I'll, I'll follow up with you. <clears throat> the goal from this, the goal from this, at least for me right now, is that I would like you to right now identify one person, one person in your life that you would like to multiply the grace of God in. Okay, just think of one person. It could be someone in your family. It could be someone here at the church. It could be in your life group. Um, it could be someone at work. Um, but just one person that you want to multiply the grace of God in. And I want you to write their name down on the bottom on this last line. I want you to write their name on that last line. And this week, I want you to pray for that person. And I want you to pray that God would give you an opportunity to multiply his grace in that person this week. So whether it's just serving them, doing something nice for them, or it's sharing with them, 
Um, or it could be that you, this person's on your heart, and you want to go to them and say, you know what, um, I would love to begin to meet with you so that we can talk about how to grow spiritually, both in maturity and on mission. And maybe this is the beginning of you learning to disciple someone else. But I want you to pray for that person every day. Doesn't have to be a long prayer, just a couple of minutes. God, thank you for this person in my life. Please give me an opportunity to show your grace, to share your grace with them. And I want to give you some language, okay? Because there are people that you could approach and you feel comfortable enough to be able to mentor them, okay? And so here's something that you could say to them. You could say, listen, I would like to meet with you so that I can help you grow and mature in your walk with God. And as we meet, I'm also going to encourage you to grow in your mission to disciple others. Make sense? So it's both maturity and mission. I want to help you in your walk with God, but I also want to make sure that you say yes and walk in your mission to disciple others. Okay? And then I know that like hundreds of you feel like, okay, I don't feel, you, you say this, I don't feel mature enough to be able to come to someone else and say, I want to disciple you. Like it seems like a little bit presumptuous for me. Um, the person that I'm thinking of is my age or maybe has been a Christian longer than I have. Um, and so, um, so, all right, what you have there is you have a peer, okay? So you have a peer in that case. And so this is a sample of how you could approach someone who is a peer, okay? You go to them and say, hey, I'd like to meet with you so that we can both grow and mature in our walk with God, right? Fair enough. Listen to this. As we meet... Will you agree with me that we both need to be able to work toward discipling others? Would you agree with me that we both need to work toward discipling others? And so during our meetings together, I'd like to consistently emphasize and we'll keep each other accountable to us sharing with others, to us multiplying the grace of God in others. Right? You could say that to someone that is at the same level as you. Because then you're in it together, right? Because how amazing would it be if two people who weren't discipling anybody got together and said, hey, we're going to commit that in six months we're going to be doing this. And we got four people doing it. How exciting is that? Um, <clears throat> way back when we started Second Timothy, um, I asked y'all to rate yourself if you felt like a Paul or if you felt like a Timothy, right? Do you remember that? Some of you felt like Timothy's without Paul. Some of you felt like Timothy's with Paul. Some of you felt like Paul's without Timothy's. Some of you felt like Paul's with Timothy's. Here's the deal. So many of you said, it's hard for me to think about discipling someone else because I've never been discipled. No one has ever invested in me personally. And so it's kind of awkward. I don't really know how it feels. And it's hard to do something when you haven't, it, it hadn't been done to you. If you feel that way, I just want to say that's okay. Like it's okay that you feel that way. Um, if you say yes to this, you will be blazing a new trail. Okay? You will be starting something that isn't being handed, that you, didn't get done to you, right? You're going to be starting your own discipling activities, right? I mean, ideally, 
someone disciples you, then you disciple someone else, and then they disciple someone else, right? And it kind of multiplies out, and it's just wonderful and clean and happy. Well, but for those of you who've never been discipled, you are going to be blazing a new trail. You're going to be starting something new. Here's my question for you. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if by the strengthening grace of Jesus, you were able to start something that continued for the rest of human history? Wouldn't it be amazing if today you made a commitment to start doing something to start investing in other people, to start discipling other people so that they would disciple other people. And you began something that kept going until Jesus returned. How amazing would that be if you started a legacy? For the next year, maybe it's one or two people In five years, what if it's five people? Right? And as these people that you work with, and we'll talk about how to do this. I mean, 2 Timothy is teaching us, we're going to keep talking more and more and more about how to do this and what to do and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, if you send me your answers, I'll help you develop a plan to do it. Um, Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if 100 years from now, there are 300 people who are actively looking to multiply the grace of God in the lives of others because of you. All you have to do is commit. All you have to do is say, God, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm in. And we'll help you get there. Let's pray. Jesus, it never fails to amaze me. I'm utterly amazed that you would use people like us for your purposes. And when I look and see my own weaknesses and my own struggles, um, I'm so encouraged to see the 12 that you chose and how frail they were and how, just how broken they were. And yet you used them to fill the world with the message. And so, Jesus, we, we want to come now. Jesus, would you show us uh, that this is the road that leads to eternal life? This is the road that leads to us understanding your grace and walking in the fullness of abundance. If you're ready and willing to commit to this, just tell Jesus, yes, Jesus, I'm in. Please put one person on my heart that I can begin to care for, that I can begin to share with, that I can begin to disciple. Jesus, draw near to us and give us the strength that we need by your grace. Thank you that we know that your grace is extravagantly poured out on us because of your death and resurrection. And so we come with full assurance, excited about what you're going to do through us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.